capital culture has enabled a different and a new atmosphere in state politics. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Well, welcome back to The Leaders We Need. I am Joel Harder. I'm really excited to have two of our board members join me for this episode, Josh Cockroft and Jason Dunnington, both excellent, excellent leaders in our state, working in various different areas across our state, both former members of the Oklahoma House of Representatives and not uh, not newcomers to uh, to talking publicly and in the news about what's going on at the Capitol. This is old hat for you guys. Uh, Josh, Jason, thanks for joining me. You bet. For sure. And you are very familiar with talking about, okay, what's happening in the Capitol as, as you move through the legislative session, talking about different policies and bills. But I'm excited for this conversation because it's going to be a recurring series we're going to launch through uh, the leaders we need where we go a little deeper than, than just the particular bills and policies and really look at what's it like to be a leader? What's it like to be a member of the House of Representatives or the state Senate in that building doing the work of leading and policymaking as you work through the session? Because things change and, and there's different focuses and priorities based upon where you are in the session. So uh, in a way, I, what I want to hear from you is just kind of what is the session like? How, you know, how does it, is there a, a formula to it? Is there a flow to it? And how do things change a little bit? But then specifically, what's it like to lead in that environment? How does it change? Obviously, the last two years have been very different from what we would call the typical flow of a legislative session. So just overall, what's your take on the, the legislative session this year? What's the, what's the building like? What's the environment like up there? Josh, we'll start with you. Sure. As someone who gets to, you know, Jason is in the same boat. We get to be in that building still every day, even after we've left office. We just we're gluttons for punishment and <laughs> we have to hang around that environment. But I, I, I think there's a little bit of sense this year of relief of getting back to a little bit of normal after the craziness of last year. Um, you know, the legislature being out for almost two months last year just threw everything obviously into chaos a little bit um so it, it's it's nice to return back to normal uh but as you return back to normal it also presents a lot of challenges too because you have the political environment the the, the jockeying for position the you know the agendas that are being pushed uh that require you you, you, you kind of feel you're thrown right back into that this year, which does present challenges for for our leaders. It does, uh, you know, especially when we have a brand new crop of legislators that have started this year, having to 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 adjust a little bit to this new normal of the the stresses of session. So you know, where we're at in the session, it's really the time of the session where things everybody starts to buckle down a little bit because 
the large policies that lawmakers are looking at are now starting to move. Um, you, you're, you're, we're wrapping up the committee process, which means you, uh, you know, you're, you're spending more time on the floor and some of those larger policy issues are starting to hit. And then also you've got the state budget conversation that always presents unique challenges as well. So it's from, from here on out until the end of May or whenever the legislature adjourns, it's, uh, it's full speed ahead. And so it does present challenges and just how you, how you conduct yourself, how you conduct the conversations that you're having with not only those on the other side of the aisle, but also those that you're having within your own legislative caucus, people that you office next to people that you go out to lunch with. It's the conversations change and it presents a lot of opportunities as well as challenges. Jason, what's your overall take this year? Great to be on the show. Thanks for having us on. Um, one of the things that, well, Josh and I have a lot of things in common, which if people drilled down into the lives of people that uh, were elected a little bit more, they'd, they'd see that there's a lot more in common than just the differences that we, you know, kind of create on our own, um, you know, with social media or especially with federal politics, you know, we, it, it feels a lot more partisan and a lot more like separation differences of ideas than it, than it actually is. If you start to look into, you know, to the lives of those that are elected. So, you know, it's interesting to hear Josh give his take. Cause I'm like, yeah, I see all of that. And I think that just shows, and we came from different sides of the aisle. Um, I have learned in this new role being back in the Capitol, that the Senate does things very different than the House. And so I spend a lot more time with senators now because I need them just as much as House members on particular issues. So it is it is interesting. They should do like a like a trade program, you know, where like like so many House members a week have to be in the Senate and, you know, vice versa. Maybe they would get along better uh, <laughs> with each other uh, when <laughs> if they had to to spend that kind of time seeing how they how they work. But yeah, I mean, this session feels different. There aren't as many people in the building. I mean, I think that one of the things that was always interesting as a member was just, um, you know, for lack of a better term, the energy that is mm -hmm. in the building. And, you know, on a day when there's two or 3000 people in the building, uh, you know, up there on different special interests. And when I say special interests, I don't just mean, you know, like some, high-powered, you know, uh, big lobbyist type of interest. I mean, just, you know, everyday Oklahoma citizens that are part of a coalition, you know, something like capital culture, mm -hmm. where people are engaged and they want to be up and they want to meet their leaders. And, and it's exciting. I mean, I, I remember, like, meeting people and, and hearing them say, this is the first time I've ever been in our state capital. And I, I would always be taken back by that because I'm like, really? First time ever? And sometimes, you know, they were 60, 70 years old, had never been in the Capitol before. And it was always like, for me, it was always like a real honor um, to be in the building, working on important things, and then meeting folks that had literally never been there before, but, you know, like we're engaging in the process. Um, and I think that's the most important thing for us to remember is there is super important stuff that happens in the building. Um, and the more we can kind of engage people to be a part of that process, I think the better. Um, I certainly think that you get better policy. Um, 
it, it'll be interesting a year from now, I think we should talk about some of the policy that's going through this legislative session. Because we had, with COVID, we were out for a period of time. And then it was like, we didn't know if we were going to be back in or what it would look like. And, you know, we're behind masks, which it seems like a weird thing, but it, in, in many ways, like a mask is like a veil, you know, and it, yeah. it separates us as, as humans. Um, and, you know, the psychology of that or sociology of that will be fascinating too, how that separation has affected policy. Um, I mean, you're seeing some really big education policy that's taking place like right in front of our eyes right now. And I wonder if we would be in that same position had we not had the pandemic at all. Um, yeah. You know, there is something about separation from each other that I think maybe has sped up some policy um, and for others maybe sidelined it. So I do, I think it'll be interesting to look back, you know, a year from now and have that conversation. You know, how has the pandemic affected even some of the policies that we're doing right now? That's a great point. And not to, not to totally chase a tangent, but my, my folks came up to visit last weekend and I was talking with my dad and, and we were talking really about this same point and, and my age and we're all about the same age, but you know, I was a freshman in college when nine 11 happened. And so I remember like that happened and this is, this is a big deal. What's going on. And of course I'm looking at my dad, you know, what do I do? You know, how does, I mean, how am I to deal with this? And when he was up here, he made the comment to me and I think he was, it was very appropriate that, you know, when, when that event happened, it changed the world and we are still living uh, in, in the context of that change, you think about you got to take your belt off and your shoes off if you're going to get on a plane. And there are things that changed and changed forever when that event, that global significant event happened. But this event may have far more uh, lasting societal, sociological impact because of this idea of the separation from other people the idea of what you just said, you know, wearing a mask and how that just, how that just puts a break, a, a barrier between you and someone else. And, uh, you know, to go months and months and months, uh, I think my favorite, my favorite internet meme, which was the best thing that came out of COVID was internet memes, but it was, uh, uh somebody put a sign that says like a good neighbor stay over there. And so <laughs> that was my favorite. I mean, it's just, you know, you, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Isn't that great? <laughs> but, and for you to make the point, though, to bring it all back to what we're talking about, that's just going to have lasting sociological impacts on us as a people. But that plays out in policy and, and just the kinds of policies that are being heard and the things that they're talking about. That's a great, great I mean, point. I think it's important to state that I believe that masks were important. Sure. Um, yeah, sure. For, absolutely. For health reasons. Yeah. It, I'm not, you know, certainly saying that that we shouldn't have been wearing them. Um I just, I do think that wearing them and then in all the politics that have come out of a mask, the groups that were no mask, the groups that were masked, you know, it's our freedom to not be, you know, to not have to wear a mask, like all of the conversation out of that, that the mask became the symbol for separation um, mm -hmm. on, on people. And, you know, that separation, I think is a lot deeper than, than we even understand right now. And yeah. it's, it's going to take a lot of, of real leadership to build back. 
um, yeah. to bring that kind of unity, that that closeness together. Like I'm certainly proud to be a, a part of a group that is seeking to do that. In the vein of what we believe and do and promote with Capital Culture is this, again, just understanding the role leaders play. And this was a significant, unprecedented in our lifetimes and, and probably for multiple generations of lifetimes crisis. And it was a medical crisis, a health crisis that will take years to really fully understand all of these things that were forming opinions on in the moment. And my encouragement and our encouragement with capital culture is, I mean, we want people to be thoughtful, engaged, dialoguing on issues that, that matter to them and dialoguing with their leaders and doing it in a productive way, but also kind of reclaiming there is a role leaders play and whatever we discover and find out about the relative effectiveness of one strategy versus another, we'll learn that in time. I'm slow to, to cast stones at leaders that are because you, you have to lead in a crisis in the moment and you have to make decisions based upon the information you have at hand. My number one prayer was bring them good and right information because they've got to make decisions with the information they have. And so that was my prayer was that they would have access to good and, and helpful information. That This could be a conversation we return to for a long time, the sociological impacts, but let's look at just the transition. And Josh, you made the comment that conversations change. There is a flow to the session. The things that you're doing and thinking and talking about in the first part of the session, it transitions as you make your way through and there's different, there's different milestones along the way. What are a couple of those key milestones and how do the conversations change? Why do they change? I, th I think a lot of it has to do just with the um, the the natural process in which legislation moves and the urgency with which people view it. Um, you know, every legislator has a, a a set amount of time within the context of a legislative session, and so um, to to discuss whatever issue that they're they're looking at and so when you're when you're up against these legislative deadlines in the beginning part of session and now we're really kind of starting to move out of those legislative deadlines as far as you know getting bills through committees and everything being on the floor everything being out in the open um and it's it's like i said full steam ahead until the end of session um and and so just the priority starts to ratchet up what with each of those discussions, whether it is on education, mental health, health care, um, you know, just overall state budget. And I mentioned the state budget because really, and I think Jason would agree with this, most of this, the discussions that we have around policy at the Capitol, the legislators have around policy is in some way tied to the state budget. And so that's where the urgency really begins to to, to ramp up as you get towards the later parts of session because the legislature normally doesn't pass a budget until the last week or two of session. So, you know, those policy dis discussions that are being had at the beginning of session, it starts to move towards uh, that wrapping those policies into how those policies affect the state budget. And so every legislator has comes into a session with priorities. Every legislator wants to see certain things happen 
none of the legislators get what they want. And so there's this natural process where you have to work with 148 other individuals, 101 in the House, 48 in the Senate. So 149 combined, there are 148 other people that you have to work with and find a way to negotiate and find compromise to get some of the things that you're fighting for, but also lay some of the other things aside for the interest of not only your constituents, but also the entire state as a whole. And there, there will always, always be disagreements on what the best way to do that is. And there are discussions that go around every single one of those throughout the course of a legislative session. When we put it in the context of you know, the leadership that is needed and desired from Oklahomans' perspective in the Oklahoma State Capitol, those discussions should always um, be put in the context of that end goal, and that is what is best for Oklahoma. And so, you know, the conversations that you have, it requires a lot of understanding. It requires a lot of grace because you are dealing with people who have a very set picture of what they want on a particular issue or, you know, in the context of the state budget, what a very particular thing that they want. And so it requires an understanding that there are 149 very unique individuals with very unique skill sets, very unique, unique talents and backgrounds and finding a way to continue those conversations, even when it is hard and having grace and understanding in the midst of those conversations so that you can reach that end goal. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, as you make your way through those different milestones, committee work, the beginning floor work, bills go to the other chamber and kind of do it again. There's a narrowing of what's available to work on. And uh, I've often heard there's this idea of, you know, I'm going to lay this bill over. I'm going to, there's decisions being made about sometimes a bill either just falls and fails or sometimes it just kind of dies in the process or a legislator will say, I'm going to lay that over because it's maybe not making the cut to focus on this year, but not just let go away. And so I'm going to make a decision to, to lay it over. Jason, what what's the strategy there? Like what what's happening from a leadership perspective of looking at that reality of focusing and narrowing and what's going to get done this year and still having priorities that may not be getting done this year, but keeping it going. I think what you're, um, I think what you're talking about, Joel, is the difference between uh, policy and politics. Yeah. Um, So policy is what ends up in those two or 300 bills that get signed into law by the governor most of which have something to do with the budget, as Josh, um, you know, so eloquently said. Um, and politics is all of the other stuff. Yeah. Um, it is the other 2,700 bills who, who knows what is in some of those. I mean, we, we read them all in our new roles now. And, and you know, I can tell you, uh, having read all 3,000 bills um, as session was beginning, you know, there were plenty of times where I was scratching my head, like, what are they doing? Um, but that's the politics. And, you know, like that just, it is what it is. It's also why, um, you know, the legislature is based in two year settings. So this is the 57th, I believe, or are we 58, 58, 58. So this is the 58th legislature. So what does that mean? Well, it means that 
this legislature has two year period of time. So we're in the first year of the 58th, next year will be the second. Why is it two years? Because we have elections every two years to replace all of the house or keep all of the house, however the voters wanna choose, and half of the Senate since they're up every four years, which is why they always say the house is the closest to the people. Because every two years you have a chance to change your house member if you don't like the politics or the policy that's going on. Um, so, you know, the first year you're going to get more policy. Nobody's on the ballot in November of 2021. But in 2022, 101 members in the House are going to be on the ballot and 24 of 48 senators are going to be on the ballot. You're going to have more politics next session. Um, so if you want to get big things done in a policy time, this is the session to do it. Mm -hmm. Next session is less likely to have big things done and more likely to have lots of politics in play because everybody's worried about the next election. Um, and that's just kind of some of the nature of the beast. Uh, so, so you have that kind of happening in the midst of everything else. Some things that I just don't think the general public knows is there's about $20 billion that goes through the Oklahoma legislature. We don't appropriate that much money because a lot of it is off the top, meaning it goes straight into education or straight into transportation, roads and bridges, um, you know, straight into health. We get to appropriate about 40 some percent of the total budget. There's a lot of pass through money, money that comes, you know, from the federal government that is, you know, for us, think, you know, Medicaid, Medicare, um, that money comes to us, but we don't have say on how it's spent. It just passes through us right into the state agencies and then is spent in that way. That is a huge amount of money that 149 people that are elected by the state um, are, are moving around in our best interest. Um, I mean, their actual portion that they get to have a say over is, you know, north of $8 billion again. That's a lot of money that's getting moved. That's why it's so important that you have leaders that are thoughtful about the process, that are thoughtful about their communities, that are thoughtful about um, the past as well as the future. Um, because you can do a lot of harm if you're not paying attention to those things. And, uh, you know, I, it had often been joked with me having served for six years that um, I heard members that were leaving at the end of their 12 say, you know, I think this place would have been better off if nobody came up here for the 12 years I was here. Um, you know, we wouldn't have had as much harm. And, um, you know, I, I like to see the more positive side of it. The legislature has an incredible opportunity to do good. Um, but, you know, on that flip side, there, there's an incredible amount of opportunity to do harm as well. And it's really why you have to pay attention to the politics and the policy. You may have good policy, but the politics can harm people so bad that the good policy is just overshadowed. And, you know, you never want that in any system. Yeah. Josh, thoughts? No, I, I, I do think, you know, when, and I agree with everything Jason said, there's, there is a difference between politics and policy. And I can remember going through 
the stage that we're about to go through in this legislative session, starting to really dig into that $8 billion of the state budget and feeling like I did not have as strong a grasp on what exactly that needed to look like. And I think many, if not all legislators feel that same way. And I think it's imperative that as you start to, as our state's leaders start to go through this process, and it doesn't matter on, on, on what side of the aisle they are in, that they continue to pursue that information, that they continue to educate themselves so that they can be that informed leader. Um, it, it is a monumental task, and it's an overwhelming task every year when you harp in charge of an $8 billion budget. I, for one, before I was in the legislature and after I was in the legislature, I've never been a part of an $8 billion budget. Um, probably never will. Um, but it, it's an overwhelming task and it requires each and every individual. And there are political barriers for some members. That's just a, that's, that's a reality. Again, as Jason said, uh, the nature of the beast there are some political disadvantage, disadvantages for some members, but it is incumbent upon every single member to continue to seek out that information, to continue to educate themselves so that they are the most knowledgeable they can be so that they do set the state up for success. And it's also incumbent upon the leaders that do have control of that information to be able to effectively communicate to all all members. It, it takes an incredible amount of communication, and sometimes it takes laying those political games aside and simply coming to the middle and saying, okay, what are we going to do that's best for the people of Oklahoma? How can we negotiate? How can we compromise and find a better path forward? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said it that way, too, because this idea that, well, did quote-unquote compromise and get work done that means that you've got to abandon your your conviction or principle on one side or the other and you just got to find a middle road solution and really what we need is for leaders on not to abandon those convictions and principles they come to the middle to talk they come to the middle to have those conversations to to share and navigate what are the principles on either side that are coming in and, and speaking to and informing the position and we never want to give people the impression that, quote unquote, working together means you abandon your principles. Not at all. It's bringing those principles into fruitful dialogue. There is a, a coming into the, quote unquote, coming to the middle to be able to, to do that. And that might not be the best you know, metaphor or word picture for doing that. But it is leaders that, that are doing that for us. It, that's why those 101 voices in the House, 48 in the Senate, each one are, are vitally important and needed. Four million of us can't do that. That's why we have representative democracy, and we elect those leaders to step out from from their districts to do that on our behalf. And and it's it's as you I think you've both said it's very difficult to do that with 150 people. That's that's where it can happen too. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think the framing is the most important thing, Joel. Um, you know, because coming to the middle is 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 vital in anything. I mean, you know, anyone that's ever been married knows that you don't get your way all of the time. You know, there's always compromise. Anyone that has children knows that. Um, there's compromise in everything that we do in our life. So it's really about framing. And I, that's the, the, the place that I 
if I could say anything to new legislators that were coming in or to those that, that you know, already exist in that space is to think about how you frame an issue. You know, if you if you look at education as an issue and say, you know, my values are that that you have to fully fund education. Okay, well, what does that mean? You know, fully fund education. Does it mean fully fund it from 10 years ago, fully fund it today, tomorrow? What are you spending the money on? So it it isn't the, the value, which I think people get held on, because that's where we get stuck in status quo. We've always done it this way, so that's my value. This is what I've run on. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. The way to look at it should be the frame. What do you if you're framing education? What is it that you want? What I want, world-class education for every Oklahoma child. Okay, well that can be done with a charter school, that can be done with a public school, that can be done with a private school, that can be done with homeschool. What we want, the outcome, is world-class education for kids. So it, if we frame it in a better way, it gives us more space to do what you've said, which is be in the middle with one another, have the dialogue, and then come out with an outcome. But so oftentimes we don't get to that place because we're protecting status quo or we've created our value based on something that's just, you know, been done for, you know, decades and we're afraid to change it. And, you know, I mean, change is hard. So, um, but, but it's important for growth and, you know, we need to grow as a state. Yeah. Well, to wrap up, this conversation. And Jason, you already said the first one, you're almost scooping my last question, which I was going to ask you both to, to give me two or three things, having been legislators that either you would say to new legislators or anyone interested in, in running for office one day, because we do have a lot of listeners that, uh, that have that in their mind, that that's something that they may want to pursue. As you get to this stage in the process, this stage in the legislative session, year one of a two-year cycle, uh, what would you say are the two, three things that leaders need to really focus on in order to do their job well at this stage in the process? Now, uh, you know, Jason, your your number one is think about the way you frame, yeah, uh, the priorities covered, and that's and, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it over to Josh because you kind of started led with your first one. Let Josh kind of give his handful, and then Jason, you can close this out and share anything anything you'd add to it. Yeah, I I think mine kind of piggybacks a little bit off of what Jason just said and that, you know, I look back at my time in the legislature and I look at my first session, first two sessions, you know, my first term. And then I compare that to my last term. And I see so many ways that the last term Josh would not have done things like first term Josh would have. And I, Um, I I think that comes from, that does come from experience that comes from having to live through the process, having to live through some of the most difficult times in state history as a legislator, you know, that my last session was during, you know, the tremendous budget shortfalls and we had the teacher walk out there. Well, there was a lot that happened, but I look back at that and I would tell someone that change is not always a bad thing that and there's a lot of things that you can change in on the policy side. And there are, there are policy positions that I know I took in my first couple of terms that I probably wouldn't have. And that wasn't me changing my principles. That wasn't me changing my values like you talked about earlier. It was 
because my perspective had changed Mm -hmm. and I had had to live through making certain decisions. But I think most of it also came on the political side. We talked a little bit about today, just the the, the political reality and some of the political games that are played as well. Just because politics has been done a certain way for a certain amount of time doesn't mean that it has to keep going that way. And just because something is happening in Washington, D.C. that kind of solidifies what the political norms may be for that day does not mean that's what has to take place in Oklahoma. So, you know, I I would tell some of those new legislators that or individuals looking at running for office that be in be be in the place that you are with your eyes wide open Mm. and be willing to adapt, be willing to change based on the conversations that you're having, realizing that everybody up there really does have the same goal in mind, and that is to make Oklahoma better. We all just have different ways of going about it. And just because you come into a legislative session with a particular goal in mind or a particular standard that you want to to hit on a particular policy or a political win, that doesn't mean that your perspective is the right perspective, that there are always things that you can learn, that no legislator can come in and no leader can come into any position, whether it's politics, business, industry, whatever it may be and know 100% of what needs to be done. So it takes, it, it takes a, a, a humility. It takes a willingness to adapt and, and to change while still holding on to the things that you believe. Jason, anything else you'd add? What would you say to a, a legislator at this stage in the process? Yeah, I just have two things that I'll add to, to what Josh said and then um, from my first on, on reframing issues. Um, and these two things would be, first and foremost, be for something and not just against things. Um, So much of the political debate right now, both, uh, you know, from a federal perspective and a state perspective is um, this outcry about something that's happened and why you're against it. I don't need to know why you're against everything. Tell me something that you're for. And then let me know that you've thought through it enough to be able to explain it well Um, and, and then tell me how the reason that you're for it is going to like solve things and going to make us better as a state, going to make us better as a people. Um, so it seems simple, but be for something, not just against stuff. Um, and the second one is, you know, maybe the easiest thing that you could possibly do and, and has far less to do with politics and a lot more to do with people spend time together. Um, because it is incredibly hard to say the kinds of things that politicians say to each other if you've spent time with others and you're, you've you know, broken bread with them, you've been out to their district, you've met their family, you've met their children. Just spend quality time with each other. And, and I tell new members that, I tell existing members that, um, you know, one of the biggest tragedies in politics over the last 30 years is this idea that you can't spend time together. And, you know, some of my um, best relationships that I've, you know, had over the last five or six years are with other members. And it's not because we sat on the house floor together, you know, because we debated against each other. It's because we went on vacation together or we went fishing with our kids together. 
because we had meals together. We joked with each other. Um, we reached out when, you know, someone lost a parent or when someone's kid was in the hospital. It's the little caring things about others that made it easier than when there was some, you know, really big, difficult policy where we were on opposite sides. It was easy to be kind. And then our, our opposition was about the issue and not about each other. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was obvious. Um, and, you know, people would say, well, how can you be so calm? And, you know, that, you know, blank, 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 blank person. Well, they aren't that to me because it was my friend. They just had a different position on the policy. But they were a friend because we, we took the time to, to be with one another and spend time together and make it authentic uh, about a friendship um, and not just about the politics. And if more of our elected officials would do that, um, our, the outcomes would be tremendous. Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need, provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.